Hello and welcome to Series 2 of Share Your Secrets, a podcast that celebrates the diversity of food, art and community. We're Bounce Back Food CIC, a community cookery school based in Manchester that has been fighting food poverty since 2014. We're now in the process of scaling up our social enterprise nationwide and have started to build delivery teams in the UK's 20 largest cities. For our third fundraising cookbook, Secret Dishes from Around the World 3, we partnered with an arts charity or social enterprise in each location, and they produced an original piece of art for the 20 countries featured in the book. In the second series of our podcast, we'll talk food, art and community with the artists, get insights from the organisations we've partnered with, and keep you up to date with our journey as we travel across the UK and meet everyone involved in the project. I'm your host, Miriam Rundle. I hope you enjoy listening. So, this week on Share Your Secrets, I'll be talking to Kirsty Halliday from Accessible Arts and Media in York. They were commissioned to create the Libya artwork, and Claire Hausman, one of the participants, told me a bit about the process set up by artist Adam Higton. I also spoke to Sean McAllister, documentary filmmaker from Hull, who collaborated with Amr Daoud to create My Syrian Breakfast, the artwork for the serious section of the book. And Lindsay Stockley from the cultural development organisation Absolutely Cultured talks about how Hull has changed since its City of Culture status back in 2017. But before all of that, Duncan filled me in on the book launch events held in Hull and in York. Yeah, the event in York was fantastic. Um, another venue where we made one of the dishes from the book. So we were putting together Gwasaka and, and participants who'd created the artwork were helping to to cook this dish. It's kind of like a, a condiment. Um, so we, we had some like crudités and things like that that we also served it with. Um, but yeah, people were like squeezing limes and chopping herbs. And, and it was, yeah, just really nice to sort of see the artwork, but also create one of the dishes from the book too. Mm, that sounds great. And then on to Hull. So then we went across to Hull and um, went to see the team from Absolutely Cultured. Uh, they've got a gallery on Humber Street. Um, so we set up there and, and gave out copies of the books. And I think our signing event was one of three or four events that they had on that evening. And at this stage, we were about halfway through the tour. And it was one of those moments where you sort of just stop and reflect. And the fact that we'd been to, I think, 10 or 11 different cities so far and you know, people were coming to the different launch events and in the planning stages of this, there were so many times where I thought, actually, is this going to be possible? Like, you know, not just with the fuel shortages, but the whole um, having events and people interacting with one another and coming together. So yeah, it felt great that actually we were able to do this. We were able to, in each location, to mark the publishing of the book and, and finally meet people rather than on a screen. Yeah, it's going to be really exciting to see how Bounce Back grows across the UK, what kind of projects pop up and how volunteers can make a big impact. So over the last few years, Bounce Back has run an internship. Can you give me some details about the programme running this year? Yes, this will be the fifth year that our social enterprise internship programme has run. Um, Every year we've tried to tweak the programme, try to make it kind of a better experience for those involved and thinking right the way back to the very first year um, it was a small group of people in our Manchester co-working office at the time and then you know the second year we decided to create additional roles and different positions that people could could help us out with Um, the third year was a couple of months after the first lockdown and so it was the first time that we'd opened up the internship program and 
created a program that could run remotely. Um, so in the third year, we, we worked with 20 young people, all with an interest in getting a, a job in the third or VCSE sector um, and supported them with a variety of different projects, marketing, publishing, events, that kind of thing. Last year, we kind of grew the program even further. We supported 30 people um, predominantly in the UK, but also we had people who joined the program from different countries as well. And again, the whole program ran remotely and there was a real variety of different tasks. And, and this was one of those things where it was amazing that there's so much enthusiasm from young people to to want to work in the social enterprise sector. Um, and, and we felt as an organization that we could provide people with the opportunities to put something on their CV and, and really get stuck in with a very like live challenge for our organization um and you know we have the technology we've pivoted to adapt a lot of our programs via zoom so last year the focus was on you know we can support a, a really large group of people and um, this year really excited to say that for the first time the internship program will be paid roles um, so we're looking for a, a small group of people to help us out over summer applications uh, have gone live this week um, and i think there's about six or seven weeks for people to put together their applications to join us this summer uh, to be on our internship programme 2022. So who would you encourage to apply for this position? So once again, we're looking for people who are interested in building their career in the social enterprise sector or the charity sector. And um, historically, like most of the applicants that we've had are young people, possibly um, as part of their degree, or they might have just finished college or sixth form. Um, but equally, we've had people who um, are kind of career changers as well. So people that are wanting to do some, something completely different in a different sector. Um, so we're open to applications from anyone. Um, I think the main thing for us is that they share our commitment to tackling food poverty, that they're really enthusiastic um, about building a community cookery school that can support people across the UK. Any top tips for applicants? Definitely, yeah. So, I mean, this year with the paid positions, um, we won't be able to take on as many people as we have done previously. So it's really, really important that um, candidates don't rush their applications. Um, we strongly encourage you to, to research our social enterprise via the website, uh, social media channels, so that in your application, you, you link the skills that you've got to our mission and how we're planning to grow and, and also how you can help too. So yeah, we're, we're really excited to, to run the programme in its fifth year. We think it's going to be the best version of our internship program ever but demand for places will be very very high so please don't rush your application some great advice there thanks dunk for those wanting to apply for the internship applications close on the 31st of march at 5 p.m you can find the application form and further information on bounceback's website bouncebackfood.co.uk accessible arts and media have been running inclusive arts and media learning projects in york since 1982 these include accessible music making groups singing and signing choirs, specialist therapeutic sensory activities and opportunities for young people and adults with learning disabilities to train as workshop leaders. I asked Development Manager Kirsty Halliday to tell me more. Uh, so we're uh, an inclusive arts charity based here in York. We've been going for, well, it'll be 40 years next year, so we've got a big birthday coming up, which we're all quite excited about. Um, and we run a range of uh, arts and media projects from singing and signing choirs to specialist sort of creative sensory therapeutic sessions for people with quite complex disabilities and people with dementia, people with mental ill health. And we also do some visual arts activities, which is why it was really lovely. 
lovely to get invited to take part in the project. I read on your website we want to see an inclusive society where everyone gets a chance to shine. How do you make that happen at Accessible Arts and Media? Uh, the key thing I think we do is that we, we're led very much by the people that take part in the projects and we make sure that everybody is supported to take part in whatever way suits them best and at the pace that suits them best so people have the time to, to grow in confidence, to develop their performance skills, to develop their communication skills. Um, so yeah, a lot of what we do is about giving people the space and the support to kind of really express their personality. And so to us, that's, that's you know, when somebody really shines, it's when they're really in the zone and they really feel like themselves. And that's, that's what we're all about. And not only that, you empower the young people and the adults that you're working with to become workshop leaders. We do, yeah, yeah. So we're, we've been running our, um, our training programme for, gosh, probably about 10, 15 years now. And that came about initially when members of our Hands and Voices Choir, which is a, a singing and signing choir, um, they they decided that they quite like to share the skills that they developed and so we started an apprentice training program where uh, guys from the choir would learn how to lead workshops and um, we then started that with our younger people's project about seven or eight years ago and so yeah we have um, learning disabled apprentices and trainees who go into schools community settings businesses we've done some quite big conferences and they'll lead uh, singing and signing workshops workshops on accessible communication um, and yeah, lots, they're lots and lots of fun and they're, they're brilliant and fearless and uh, they do stuff that I couldn't do. I couldn't stand in front of a room of 300 people <laughs> and present a workshop, but they do it without any qualms whatsoever. It's giving people a voice when perhaps they don't always get that chance. Well, yeah, and, and putting people in the position where they're the experts as well. Yeah. Um, because every day we're all an expert in something. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's putting people in that position where they're an expert and it's a really positive model of disability as well. Um, so we do quite a lot of, you know, we've done quite a lot of work in special schools and it's, it's, it's fantastic, I think, for the young people there, for, for one of their peers perhaps to be leading the workshop. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the power of music. As you mentioned earlier, you've got the hands and voices, singing and signing choir. How does music help and bring people together? There's something really powerful, particularly about, about singing together. And I think it's something that us as, as humans, it's something that we've done. And if you look across all the cultures, you know, all the cultures that are featured in the book, music is as, as important as food. You know, when we all get together to celebrate something, we generally eat together and we generally, we generally have music. So it's been part of culture since we were first able to make sounds, I think, by banging sticks and stones together. Um, and I think especially over the last kind of, you know, year and a half, obviously it's been really difficult and people haven't been able to get together. So to be able to get back together and make music with friends, um, there's something really special about that. When we work with people living with dementia, with iMuse, which is the one-to-one -one sort of sensory project, music is a big part of it. And we've had several occasions where somebody who may not have had a lucid conversation you know, for, for months, may not have recognised their children for, for quite some time. We, we find out what music they like to listen to when they were younger, play a piece of music from when they were sort of 19, 20 years old, uh, and suddenly they're, they're back in the room, you know, and having conversations and remembering things that they hadn't remembered for years. So there's clearly something very deep in our brains that's wired, hardwired into to music. What led you to be involved with this charity? Uh, so I've, I've known the charity I think since 2004 um, I used to be part of the arts development team at the local council here um, and Accessible Arts and Media was one of the charities that I, I was like a grant manager for the week we, so I had regular meetings with them um, and really we've, I've worked with them on and off since then because I remember 
taking my niece, who was, I think, four years old at the time, to see a, a Hands and Voices cabaret performance. And she was completely mesmerised, still talks about it now. And I think, um, yeah, so I just totally fell in love with, with the work that the organisation does and the culture at the organisation. It's a big, friendly, happy place to be. Uh, and it's quite difficult to leave. I think once there's quite a lot of us on the team have been here for, for quite a few years now, because why, why would we go anywhere else? And fun seems to be at the centre of what you do. Yeah, very much, very much. There's, uh, yeah, some of our sessions, it can take, you know, five, ten minutes for things to settle down after there's been a big fit of laughter that just spreads around the room. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> we don't take ourselves too seriously. We don't take ourselves too seriously. <laughs> so what's the most rewarding part of the job for you? Um, I think I think sort of seeing seeing our participants, seeing our groups perform, you know, whether that's in the city centre, so we go busking in the city centre, or whether it's seeing somebody leading a workshop. It's just seeing the confidence that taking part in our projects has instilled in somebody. That that to me because I know that you know as a <clears throat> as a child I, I was really lucky that I you know I grew up in quite a musical house so I was I was able to you know take part in concerts and, and all that kind of stuff. And I it certainly was a big part of me developing the confidence that I've I have as an adult. Mm. And so to be able Able to to work for an organisation that helps other people discover mm. that confidence and, and like like we say you know discover that they do shine that they do have you know amazing skills and talents that's that's the most rewarding bit. So let's talk a little bit about the project. Why did you want to collaborate with Bounce Back Food? Um, I think as I mentioned earlier, you know, for us because food and culture are so interlinked, um, it, it seemed like a really natural fit. And when mm. when we first spoke to Duncan. Um, talked about you know, potentially getting in, and was there an artist that we'd wanted to work with? And we'd we'd known Adam for quite quite a while, for a couple of years, and um, hadn't had the opportunity to work with him partly because of the pandemic. We were you know we were looking to get mm. some stuff going, and then and then COVID hit. Um, so yeah, it was a fantastic opportunity to be able to to work with an artist that we've wanted to work with for a while, and also it was a really it was a really nice project that lots of our different groups could take part in. So we had some of our participants from iMuse, members of Hands and Voices, members of our Movers and Shakers group, um, all all took part and all contributed to the artwork, which was so yeah for us it was a really nice way when we haven't at that point we hadn't been able to see each other in the room together for what felt like forever. So even though it was all still done online, it felt like we were all doing something together for the first time in ages. And that was just a really, really joyful thing to do. I'd love to know about the creative process that Adam set up to make this artwork happen. So Libya was the assigned country. Where did he go from there? Uh, so I know he did did quite a lot of research into the music from Libya because again he think he knew that at least a couple of the groups that he was working with were very much the music groups, um, and and looked into the different cultures, the, the dances, the foods, the the musical instruments, um, and Adam does quite a lot of work with sort of stencil style um, art and print. He then created lots of stencil shapes uh, or templates that represented whether it was musical instruments or, um, I don't know, cultural artefacts like vases and things that were very sort of Libyan in origin. So we then printed off the artworks, sent packs out to everybody that was taking part with lots of colour, bright coloured paper and paints. Um, and then I think in the sessions themselves, uh, yeah, we, we listened to some of the music first to kind of get us all into the mood, talked a little bit about, about Libya and about the culture, uh, and then all just went a bit crazy with colour and filled in the templates that Adam had done. And then he then went and took those and kind of combined them into the artwork that's in the book. Oh, it's such a lovely piece. It's really arresting. And it's so much fun as well. I think what you've created all together is brilliant. 
It's, it, was, it was just, it was really, really lovely this morning to actually see it in print. Because obviously we've seen, we've seen the artwork and we've seen like a PDF version of the book, but to actually hold the book and see it and for everyone to see the work that they've created in the book is, yeah, it's been fab. And who do you think would benefit from the book? Um, I'd say anybody who anybody who loves sort of food. I think for about the first five or ten minutes, we're all just flicking through the book. Going, oh, I'll, I'll try making that next week, and all oh, that looks like quite nice for a Sunday dinner. So there's some, yeah, we're all already just drawing up a short list of the recipes we're going to try when we get when we get home. Um, but also anybody who's interested in different cultures and different cuisines from around the world. Because obviously there's a really broad range of, of countries and therefore cuisines. So there's some really interesting flavours. So yeah, I'd say anyone who loves food and anyone who loves sort of travel. Because obviously travel's been curtailed quite a lot over the last couple of years. So it's quite nice to travel in the kitchen instead. Mm, are you a keen cook yourself? I am, yeah, yeah, and it's it's one of the it's one of the ways I like to quite often unwind after work. Actually, just spend an hour or so in the kitchen, just rustling something up. Um, I'm very much like you know, trying lots of different spices and herbs and different flavors. So yeah, I'm very excited about trying it. <laughs> and what's next for AAM? What's in the pipeline? As I mentioned earlier, it's our fortieth birthday next year, so we're just starting to plan. Uh, some of the activities that we're going to be doing throughout the year, uh, there will be a big party of some sort at some point. Details yet to be uh, yet to be announced, but that's that's a really big thing that's on the horizon for us, which is really exciting. Oh well, thank you so much for talking about AAM today. The work that you do is wonderful. Um, so I hope you enjoy the book and making the recipes. No, we will. No, thank you, and thanks. Yeah, you know, big thanks again to Duncan and the team for for involving us in the project. It's been great. Next up, Claire Hausman, one of the participants, shared how she became involved with accessible arts and media. I got in contact with the AAM a long time ago. They are a great charity. I've known them for a long time uh, through various friends that I've known. I've always gone to see their Hands and Voices concerts and things. And then two, although probably three years ago now, I decided to join and the rest is history, as they say. <laughs> so which group are you part of? Um, in Hands and Voices, the choir, um, I'm, well, I was, pre-Covid, um, I was in Movers and Shakers. Yeah, it's been a strange time for everyone, hasn't it? We've done a lot of sessions remotely. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, and obviously doing, we're still doing Hands and Voices on Zoom, so it's, it's great we were able to do it, but again, it's not quite the same. <laughs> so tell me a little bit how you became part of this project with Bounce Back Food. Either Hannah or Alison or both. Um, asked, sent a general email out to everybody asking who would be interested and basically I do do arts and crafts I make my own cards and I do my own things so I thought yeah go for it and I loved it <laughs> yeah it was great Did you receive a pack through the post? I did yep Cool so what was in the pack? There was from what I can remember just pieces of card tissue paper scissors glue was it sellotape? One or the other. Yeah, so basically everything that we needed. I think we were doing like musical instruments, that's what we were doing. Um, and we were given templates of those so that we could stick the tissue paper on the um, on the template of the, the relevant instruments that we were all, because we were all given different instruments. So. Cool, and I believe you were listening to some traditional music during the sessions. Yeah, Adam played some Libyan music, so that was all nice that we were in... In Libya. <laughs> yeah, getting a taste for it. Because obviously, well, for me personally, I don't know anything about Libya, so it's just nice to, you know, listen to some music, you know, even learn about the musical instruments as well. So Yeah, and then the colourful way it was all brought together, it looks a bit like stained glass or perhaps mosaic or some of the pottery you might find in Libya. 
How does it feel to see the book and be like, I did that, that's my artwork? That's mine. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's really, really good. Really good. Um, and obviously, my, and then my photographs in there as well. So it's just, yeah. <laughs> and will you be using any of the recipes? Yeah, I might have a go at some things. Yeah, the one he's making, because he's making something at the minute. It's not quite guacamole, but it's that kind of idea, I think. Might have a go at that one. <laughs> mm, well, I hope you enjoy the taster. I was going to say, I'm sure. <laughs> There's a real sense of fun about the organisation. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I just go and I have, I have an absolute laugh. I think that's one of the things we miss, the fact that we can't all have a laugh. And, you know, we can, obviously, because we're on Zoom, but it's just not the same when you're in your own living room and <laughs> it just doesn't feel the same. Not the same atmosphere at all. Well, thank you so much for talking to me today, Claire. I hope you enjoy the 40th birthday celebrations next year. I'm sure there's going to be concerts and events and lots of fun to be had. Yeah, there will. <laughs> we're making up for lost time, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Find out more about accessible arts and media at www.aamedia.org.uk. Born in Palestine in 1966, Amr Daoud has been a painter and sculptor for over 30 years. He's a defender of human rights and a graduate of the Beirut School of Fine Arts. Originally from Jerusalem, he's lived in Syria and Lebanon, but he now lives in the south of France. Amma is also the subject of the BAFTA-nominated film A Syrian Love Story, which was directed and filmed by Sean McAllister. The pair worked together again on the Syrian section of Secret Dishes from Around the World 3, and I was lucky enough to talk to Sean and ask him about his background growing up in Hull. Growing up in Hull, well, it's very different to how it is now. Um, I think... um, I think part of my interest around the world and the stuff that I've done, especially like the stuff in the Arab world and Syria and Iraq and things, was partly because I had grown up in Hull and I had a kind of thirst for the world because I think growing up in Hull, you feel a bit more cut off than most most places, especially like most even northern places. They say it's sort of like at the end of the M62, it's a city that you'd never pass through by accident. You always have to intentionally come here. <laughs> um, and the people that are here seldom leave. So there, there is a kind of, there, there was a feeling of isolation in the rest of the world. So um, yeah, it's, I think it's a very unusual thing growing up in Hull. What would a typical breakfast be in Hull? Well, when I grew up in Hull, a typical breakfast is this awful fried stuff that they still seem to love. Um, I've never gone for it, really, even when I worked, because I, I worked in factories and stuff when I left school. So I kind of... Well, actually, I did when I worked in factories. I did, I, I did have sausage sandwiches with uh, fried bread. And you do kind of get into it in a funny kind of way. But I think that's partly to do with... Uh, the lifestyle you're leading as well. I think if you get like used to six pints on the night after work, and you ha- you know you, you have a greasy breakfast in the morning to get rid of a hangover, and then you have a shit job and a hard day at the grind in a factory, that that's that was the world I'd sort of left. At, I left school at 16, and that that was the kind of lifestyle I went into for a number of years before I kind of managed to escape it through. Um, through finding a camera, really, at a community centre not far from where I am here, actually. We used to have community centres when I was young. <laughs> um, they, were the, they were the chance to discover culture and art and opportunities, stuff that you didn't really manage to get a chance to do when you were at school. And I was lucky enough to 
I don't know how I got there really. I think it was just by chance. I kind of just hung out with different people. And I think it was my time working at, in factories and stuff that made me interested in characters and people. Because when you're in a dead end job and it's boring, the thing that helps you pass a 12 hour shift is, is having fun with characters. So after I'd left, I kind of tried to prized myself away from factory life and went on to the, the dole in the 80s in Thatcher's years when we could survive on the dole without much hassle and, um, and in that time I found the camera and the community centre and I started making films about characters in Hull and then eventually I applied to uh, film school and got in and that was my escape out of Hull. And what is it about making films that sparks a passion in you, along with the characters who you're filming? Again, it's on my thirst for travel, really. When I left film school, one of the first gigs, that, one of the first opportunities I got was to go to Iraq, which I'd never heard of, really. And I, it was just this excitement of travelling into the unknown, really. The documentary sort of suits me because it's very much making films out of the unknown. You, ha you don't have a script, you don't have a... a well, you have an idea, you have a an interest and you then pursue it really and I think it's still latching on to people that interest me like they did in factories whether it's people in Iraq where I've made films or people in Yemen or Syria because I went on to sort of Japan you know I went on to sort of find parts of the world that I've never explored or seen and wanted to do that but I do that through finding a character and finding a family or finding a, a friend really and I always think about my target audience as, as being people back here really that wouldn't ever travel to those places and how... So when I think when I'm in a, a very strange place like Japan uh, and I'm thinking about a film that try and make sense of a very different place, I'm thinking of how certain people here would, would connect with it. So they're, in a way, my target audience, really. That I, I carry a lot of my roots with me wherever I go. And you were in Damascus 2008, 2009, I believe. When did you meet Amma? He was very much caught up in the political conflict at the time in Syria, wasn't he? Yeah, I met him in a bar one night um, in Damascus, 2009, end of, I think, before all of the stuff kicked off. He was sort of keeping his head down. Basically, he was being watched purely because his wife was in prison for political activities. So I spent quite a long time getting to know places to find out what kind of film I want to make. I'd been there for about half a year, on and off. And... He was the first person that really actively wanted a film, needed the film, because it's a, there wasn't really the eyes on Syria then. No one even knew what Syria was. Uh, and even at, at that time, when I was trying to get the film commissioned, people were saying, no, we don't, we don't really care about Syria. The BBC were, were, were telling me to go to Libya, because at least in Libya they had Gaddafi, and Gaddafi was some, something that the audiences would know but no one knew Syria. It was too off the radar. It's a bit like now, I'm trying to get another film made in Yemen, and Yemen's just too far off the radar of people to care about. <laughs> and by following Amma's family and the human story, the relationship between him and his wife Ragda, you in turn shone a light on the political story, what was going on underneath the veneer. I mean, like you say, it wasn't particularly in the public eye at that time, but you scratched the surface of that. Yeah, well, the film starts really with that, the conflict that became the story everybody was familiar with. But because I filmed for so long, the film ends as they're in exile in France. And, and we'd edited up until that point. I remember finishing the edit and fin almost finishing the film 
and, and uh, the BBC had finally accepted to, to take the film uh, and I was having a chat at, with some executive from the BBC and they were saying it's a brilliant film but how are we going to place it because everybody's so tired now of Syria when you started on this adventure no one cared about Syria and now there's so much Syria and the war and the Arab Spring nobody cares anymore so I don't know how we're going to place this film and then a few weeks later this little boy's body was washed up on the beach and it was the dead boy that was washed up from a boat from a Syrian family and suddenly there was this appetite for this exodus of people and why why people are leaving so the interest in the film that I was suddenly releasing wasn't about the war but was about their journey after the war and so what that film managed to do was humanize these people that we only ever see as people on boats or as if you're lucky 30 seconds on the six o'clock news and that doesn't really give you a multifaceted understanding of you know that refugees are human beings like me and you they have those feet they have mums and dads and they laugh and cry and I think that that's what we managed to capture because in their story they moved to France and their dream was always to get their family in to the west to have a better life and they managed to do that and, and in a fictional narrative you would imagine that two people that had met in prison dreamed of a life in the west find it you would imagine the third act to be this happy ending and in the film the reality of a documentary kicks in which is that things are not as good as that unfortunately and one in two marriages in refugees ends in divorce and unfortunately that happened to them that they ended up splitting up and divorcing which is also that's why documentary is so much more exciting you just never you, you go with the reality rather than the predictable we're talking about a Syrian love story for anyone listening it's a really incredible and important watch so do check it out Moving on to Amma and this project with Bounce Back Food, could you tell me about that collaboration and how it happened? Um, well, unfortunately, Ragda uh, died a few months back and I'd gone over to France shortly after uh, lockdown two or one or whatever. She'd gone into hospital for some operation and she never survived it. And I was over for the funeral. Gosh, I'm so sorry to hear that. And that's when... Um, Bounce Back got in touch with me about doing a project. So I was with Amma at the time, and Amma lives in, in the country in, in Albi, in the south of France. Uh, and he has a big studio where he does his artwork. Um, and I said, there was this, this idea for me to do a photo, and I said, I think you should do. And he said, well, you take a photo of something, and then I'll do the painting of it. And I said, well, I'm all the time photographing your delicious food. Let's just photographed breakfast today and, and the picture in the book was one of the Palestinian, because he's Palestinian one of the Palestinian breakfasts that he cooks every day, which I photographed and he did the water uh, water painting pastel picture of. Well it looks delicious I have to say. He's been a painter for 30 years, did you capture him painting at the time that you were filming? Well, it, it's totally out of the film because he never, you know when when Ragda was put in prison, I didn't realise this until I was in France with him. The secret police came and they burnt down his workshop as a punishment to him. So everything had gone. Gosh, that's horrific. Uh, he didn't have anything left. They burnt down everything. And, and he couldn't do anything about it because what can he do? Um, 
So for the time that I was with him, it was more of a story of his survival and that, and, and, and he was trying to get her out of prison. And then once she was out of prison, they were off to Lebanon and, uh, and then, um, and then they were to France. And then by the time he got to France, he started to do some painting and that's in the film at the, at the end. But he, you know, his life had been so much a struggle for just, which we don't appreciate. I think we take life for granted a lot, really. Uh, and that, now he's got the time on his hands and he's starting to do exhibitions, but he feels a little bit deflated without the big love of his life. It's a funny thing, even though they got divorced, she was still the big love of his life. And after she died, it, it's, it's had a big impact on all of the family, really. She was like the, she was the, the revolutionary and the family's gone. <laughs> what an inspirational woman. Did you enjoy some of the breakfast that he made in the picture that we can see in the book? Every day, yeah. I mean, I, I was supposed to be there a week and I think I ended up staying three weeks. Uh, and we were just e- eating all the time. And uh, it's just a delight, really, because uh, it reminded me of the beauty of the life over there, really, in the Arab world. I think maybe that's partly the reason I was attracted to it. Their life is designed around dishes and food and cooking. <laughs> Not this obsession with work <laughs> and running around, mm-hmm. catching buses and sitting on a tube every day. It's all about living. Well, thank you for giving us a taster of your filming process, for telling us about Amma and the story behind the artwork. It's a delicious book. I've got a copy of it. I'm going to go through the recipes when I get back home. They look wonderful. Fantastic. Are you a keen cook yourself? I am, yeah, absolutely, yeah. But I'm veggie vegan, so but I, I, I can find ways of replacing the fish or the meat. Well, there are definitely some veggie vegan options in the book, so I hope you enjoy having a leaf through that tonight. Absolutely. Fantastic. Thank you very much. To find out more about Sean and his work, head to seanmcallister.com. Absolutely Cultured is a cultural development organisation working to create opportunities and spaces for amazing cultural experiences to happen. Their ambition is to make Hull an even better place to live, work, visit and learn, building on the success of the city's City of Culture status in 2017. Head of Creative Programmes, Lindsay Stockley, gave me more of an insight into the work of the organisation. So, Absolutely Cultured, we, well, as you say, we're a cultural development organisation, which kind of really means we try and find the kind of the gaps of where, where there's not many kind of art forms being developed or pushed or that need extra bits of development in the city. And we also kind of work with communities to help kind of help them to make their areas better, work with them um, and nicer places to live through using arts and culture as well. Those are some of the ways in which we kind of work to develop culture in the city. And we have lots of different programs on that, that do that. So for instance, we, we run a contemporary art gallery. It's the only contemporary art gallery in the region. We put on sort of large scale events. We're working on a dance program, touring shows in the, in the UK and bringing some of those works to Hull, which wouldn't normally kind of tour here really um, so kind of really starting to look at how we can support the dance sector here and we do as I say we do a lot of work with communities there's two specific communities that we sort of focus on working with they're both really kind of 
areas of deprivation that are actually very close to the city centre um, but a lot of the, the people that live there wouldn't necessarily come into the city centre and they would, wouldn't necessarily engage with the arts that much so we do, we've been working in those communities for the last couple of years and we've, um, we've got plans over the next three or four years to continue working with them and doing lots more work there and really working with them to find out what it is that they want in those areas and helping them to make those things happen so we do lots of different things what what drives us is to make Hull a more vibrant exciting and connected city. I mean I think it's so important what you're doing like the fact that you work in partnership with all sectors of the city whether that be art health education regeneration all of that comes into the work that you do doesn't it? Absolutely, yeah. We've we've just done a project. Uh, it was called Creative Hull in in July. It was just before the restrictions got fully axed. Um, so we were still in uh, some sort of lockdown, which was very challenging because it was a big event. Um, but we worked in partnership with over fifty um, arts organisations and individuals in the city to put on a, a big program that just celebrated all the creativity in arts and culture in the city and. We commissioned various new works from local artists that took place in on the old kind of high street of the city centre called White Frigate, which was it's just loads of empty shops at the moment. And um, so we filled those empty shops with, with work. And some of the projects was like a running kind of theme around asking people and sort of um, interrogating, like, what is the future of the, the high street going forward? I mean, it was already, you know, it was already difficult. High streets were already having a hard time, but... I think COVID has really sort of um, made that even worse. So, so yeah, that sort of like you know brings together the arts and culture, and also that kind of developmental kind of role of arts and culture in the city as well. Did this start as a result of Hull being city of culture? Was it 2017 that you had the title? Yes, it was. Yeah, 2017. I actually moved to Hull from London in 20, beginning of 2016. And honestly, Hull is like unrecognisable now from how it was then. Like there is so much more going on and it's really radically changed. And it's, it's absolutely because of, of City of Culture and in 2017. And tell me about the space that you're in today. Yeah, so we're in Humber Street Gallery um, in the cafe downstairs at the moment and there's lots going on today. We've got, uh, we do a big learning programme and we've got a, a group of early career artists working across all art forms that are just here doing part of their training um, but figuring out what an exhibition, a group exhibition that they're going to put together for next summer is going to look like. Um, so we've got that going on in here and we've got people looking at the, the books, the recipe books and also just ha- having a drink and stuff so it's kind of quite vibrant and we have two gallery spaces here um, with exhibitions in and a rooftop bar as well um, and we're in the uh, fruit market area which is in the marina of Hull. One of the things you say as part of Absolutely Cultured is creating amazing cultural experiences and it sounds like even just in your building you've got that. Yeah and it's so nice to see it like open and vibrant again like it was closed for so long Um, and also we've been growing as an organisation we've been um, in existence really since 2018 and we've been growing this space um, over that time so having um, Covid and the lockdown smack bang in the middle of that really um, was a bit of a back, you know a bit of backward step really but but it's so it, it is it's so good to see it open and to see new artists coming in and, and the work happening here and people using the space again so yeah, it's great why were you keen to team up with bounce back food and their book secret dishes from around the world three 
Well, I think because we work a lot with communities and we can see the work that Bounce Back do as being really beneficial. And in terms of that cultural side of things, I think food is a really great way to bring people together and um, bring communities together. And that, and we, we do that with the work that we do in communities. So we really see the benefit of that. And we just really love the ethos and the values of Bounce Back. So that kind of really resonated. And it just, in terms of the, the recipe book and the fact that you work with so many different arts organisations across the UK to bring that together, it just seemed like a really fantastic project for us to be a part of, really. Who made the connection with Sean? Is that something that came because you were given the Syrian section of the book? How did that collaboration happen? Yeah, it was. It was. We really wanted to have integrity around working with someone that had a connection to Syria. Um, and that was quite challenging in whole, really. Like, you know, looking for artists that had that connection and then that was quite challenging. And then someone had the, mm. the bright spark idea about the, the film that he created about uh, a Syrian love story. Um, so I just got in contact and amazingly, he was really up for it and available and supported the project as well. So yeah, that just really worked out, really. Who do you think would enjoy the book? I don't know who wouldn't really um great answer <laughs> yeah <laughs> I just saw it before in in like held it in reality rather than just seeing it on the screen and the recipes look incredible in there it's just amazing like how there's just so many different recipes from all over the world obviously because that's the whole the whole point but um they all look really fantastic and just as a book in itself the imagery in there the photographs but also the artwork in there um there's just there's a lot going on there's a lot to give people will get a lot out of it a lot of different things so I think it would appeal to a lot of different people really oh well thank you so much for giving me your time i could talk to you all day but i know that you're a very busy woman oh pleasure yeah really love to meet you and you can find out more at absolutelyculture.co.uk thanks to kirsty claire sean and Lindsay for chatting on the podcast today remember you can order copies of secret dishes from around the world one two and three from the shop on bounce back foods website use the promo code podcast 10 for an extra 10 percent off Go to bouncebackfood.co.uk forward slash shop to place your order. To find out more about the people and organisations featured on today's podcast, head to the blog on Bounce Back Foods website, where you'll find the episode notes. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please like, subscribe and share, or leave us a review and tell us your thoughts. Well, that's all for now. Thanks for listening to Series 2 of Share Your Secrets, a podcast by Bounce Back Food CIC. I'm your host, Miriam Rendell, and I'll see you next week. This episode was kindly supported by Ward Hadaway, a law firm serving local, national and international clients across Leeds, Manchester and Newcastle. One of the UK's top 100 law firms, Ward Hadaway offers quality legal advice to individuals and organisations. They strongly believe in giving back to their local community and recently contributed to our Manchester Christmas meal drive. For more information, please visit www.wardhadaway.com or find a link to their website in the description of this episode.